text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 84. I will read that with you, Psalm 84. The heading above the psalm says, To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. After the sermon, we will voice our Amen together by singing the words of Psalm 43, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Psalm 43, 3, and 4, and 5 after the sermon. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord, the psalmist is writing that he longs for his soul, even his soul faints for the courts of the Lord. In today's language, we would say, I can't wait to get to church on Sunday morning. I'm sure that you agree with me that going to church is a blessing. But where does the psalmist get such a strong desire to worship? Is that how you felt this morning? I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but there have been times in my life, too, where I didn't feel this strong desire to go to church on a Sunday morning. And I'm sure we all understand the difference between knowing that we should go to church and having a strong desire to go to church. But that's also why it's so good to have a psalm like Psalm 84. God knows our weaknesses, and he knows that we need encouragement. And that's what we find here in the inspired words of the sons of Korah. Because through these words... The Lord teaches us the blessing of worship. And we'll consider three things. The context of this blessing, the foundation of this blessing, and the confidence that we have in this blessing. It's clear from this psalm that the psalmist, that the author, loves coming to church. Loves going to the temple. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, my soul faints for the courts of the Lord. And verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. 
So he loves to worship the Lord. He loves coming to church. Blessed are those in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Verse 5. Of course, in ancient Israel, there were no smooth highways leading up to Jerusalem. That's why the psalmist speaks of highways to Zion that are in the heart. It's It's a poetic way of saying that your heart beats for and looks forward to going to the place of public worship. The psalmist is one who likes to travel, but he, he's not just talking about just traveling anywhere. He wants to travel to the place of worship because he loves to serve and worship his God. And he, he expresses this in very vivid and eloquent language. My soul longs, my soul yearns, my heart cries out to the living God. These words are echoed in Psalm 42, which we sang together. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. There the psalmist is saying that the urge to worship is so strong that it almost feels like he's dying of thirst. And how does the psalmist come to this? How does this urge get so strong? Well, it often happens when someone goes through a time of stress, when people are are overwhelmed because of a catastrophe in their life, or when a child of God is prevented from worshipping for a long time, for an extended period of time. And there are several hints in this psalm that that's the case. It seems clear that the author of Psalm 84 is not near to Jerusalem. Verses 5 through 7 indicate the need for travel. He's going through the valley of Baca. It appears the author is hindered from coming to worship. Now, I already mentioned Psalm 42, and that's because Psalm 42 is also written by the sons of Korah. And there are some significant similarities. There's similar language and themes in these two psalms. Psalm 42 also seems to indicate that the psalmist is far away from Jerusalem. He hasn't been able to come to worship for a length of time. And he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I, how I used to go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. And in 42 verse 5b, he remembers how from the land beyond the Jordan, he longed for that. Now Jerusalem lies on, on the western side of the Jordan. But these Israelites lived on the other side of the Jordan, the eastern side of the Jordan. And there must have been circumstances that prevented them from coming to Jerusalem to worship And in Psalm 84, we encounter something very similar. Note the prayer in verses 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So take note of how the sons of Korah cry out to God. God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the God of power, they plead for him to listen. And to look with favor upon his anointed. What does that mean? Well, the anointed one is the king. And the king is in in distress. Lord, see him and hear his cry for help. So it seems like there's there's a a national tragedy happening here. And we don't know what the occasion is. But perhaps this psalm was written at a time when, when a foreign king had power over the people of Israel. And they were restricted from worshiping. What is clear is that this tragedy affected both God's people and God's king. And God is being addressed here as the Lord God Almighty, 
the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob. He is identi- the psalmist is identifying himself with God's people and with the God of God's people. The psalmist clearly sees himself as one of God's people. And that's an amazing thing if you think about it because I already mentioned that the psalm was written by the sons of Korah. Right? We read about those men who rebelled against Moses, <clears throat> Dathan and Abiram and Korah. Korah was a Levite. And as a Levite, he was set apart to serve in the tabernacle, but he wasn't satisfied. His attitude was, who in the world do Moses and Aaron think that they are anyway? That they get <clears throat> what it seems to be the best position, the position of honor. Since I'm a Levite, why can't I serve as a priest too? And so he joined the rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and we know what happened. The Lord caused the earth to open and to swallow him and his followers. It's obvious, however, that some of the descendants of Korah survived. These descendants ended up serving as doorkeepers in the tabernacle and later in the temple. We read about that in 1 Chronicles 9, how David and Samuel appointed them, the sons of Korah, to be gatekeepers in the house of God. Just like the Levitical priests, they did not all live in Jerusalem. And some of them had to travel to Jerusalem to work their shift, so to speak, as gatekeepers. And with that in mind, we can better understand 84 verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It seems that the sons of Korah had learned from the mistake and the sin of their great, 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 great grandfather. Even though they were, humanly speaking, merely lowly gatekeepers, they had great joy in their task. Even though they didn't have a a central role to play in the temple service, they were okay with that. What mattered to them was that they were part of the worship. They could be there. And the picture we get here in the psalm is of these sons of Korah that, that they are living in difficult times. They really want to come to Jerusalem. They really want to take up their shift, their, their turn as gatekeepers. But somehow they're being prevented. And the king is in de- distress too. The king doesn't even have the power to, to help them out and to get them there. He cannot alter their circumstances. The congregation of the Lord has given us this psalm to sing too. These words are very fitting for God's people when they cannot make it to church. They are very fitting for those Christians who are living in a place where they are being prevented and persecuted, prevented from worshiping. These are fitting words for someone who is ill and has to be in a hospital or remain at home for a long time and cannot come to worship. And these words are very fitting for those who don't even have the energy to listen to a recording of a worship service. It's very fitting and appropriate to to put words together like this to express our sadness because of such a situation. And the words of this psalm also remind us how blessed we are when we are able to worship. Every Sunday again we can come together as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not prevented from worshiping. And most of us have the health and the strength to do that every week again. And the blessing of worship is a privilege and a desire that's beautifully expressed by the sons of Korah. 
And that desire is something that the Lord wants us to have as well. And again, we can ask, well, where does that come from? And how do we get that? What is the foundation of that desire? Did the sons of Korah miss the beauty of the temple? Because it was a beautiful complex, right? The walls were overlaid with with gold and engravings of cherubim and and palm trees. Did they they miss that? Did they miss the beauty of, of the rituals and the liturgy? Well, notice the focus of the psalmist. My heart and flesh cry out to the living God. So the psalmist is not focused on the temple, but on the God who dwells in the temple. He is preoccupied with the living God. The true God is the true object of his worship and his desire to worship. When we come to church on a Sunday morning, it can seem so, so normal. It's, just, it's a routine every week again. And, and sometimes reading our, our Bible and praying can also just become a routine, just a regular habit. And then sometimes... God can seem far away when things become a routine. The congregation, God can be known by us because he is the living God and he has explained himself and expressed himself most particularly in his son Jesus Christ and revealed himself and who he is in Christ. And congregation, Christ is not dead. He is the living Christ, the living Savior And he dwells in us with his Holy Spirit. And the awareness of his presence is what brings joy to the life of a believer. And so our preoccupation then, congregation, is not with the rituals of worship, but with the living God, the glorious God, the Almighty, the God of Jacob. O Lord of hosts, Almighty King, the praises of your house I sing. That's how the rhymed version of Psalm 84 starts. And when when this is true for us, congregation, then, then we truly know the Lord. And this, this is what the sons of Korah longed for. This is what their hearts longed for, to be near the Lord, to know the Lord, to experience his blessings and the blessing of worshiping him. And why is that? Because they knew that in order to cope with their circumstances, they had to know the living God. And they needed the blessing of worship. They trusted God to be their helper. To be their God, the one who answers their prayers. They trusted the God of Jacob to be their son and their shield. And to look upon the face of his anointed king. That's how the psalm ends. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And what does that mean? It means to go on in faith. And to go on in faith means to have, to be filled with a drive for worship. Believing and being filled with the desire for worship go hand in hand. The two cannot be separated. And notice the psalmist isn't just looking, trying to look at the bright side of things. The sons of Korah aren't just merely content to stay at home. Oh well, since I can't go to church, I'll try make the best of it I'll, I'll catch up on some sleep or read a good book or you know we can always live stream because you know the internet is pretty good at Mount Mizar anyway no they're upset 
that they can't come to church. And you and we all know that in those days coming to church wasn't that easy. It wasn't a matter of getting in your air-conditioned car and having a nice smooth ride on your way to church. They had to travel on foot and they had to go through valleys and over hills and mountains and face danger from, from robbers sometimes and from wild animals and from heat and cold. And yet they see this journey as a blessing. And they recall how the Lord so often blessed their journey in the past. Even when they traveled through the valley of Baca, it can be translated as the valley of tears. The Lord made it a place of springs for them. A place where they could get water. And water is life. And so the Lord enabled them to go from strength to strength until each of them appeared before Zion. The God in, before God in Zion. You can hear how they long to be where the living God dwells. Even Even a sparrow finds a home there. And the swallow builds her nest there. They wish they could just be a bird and just just fly to Jerusalem. You hear the longing in these words. But we also hear the Lord teaching us through these words. You see, to be a believer means more than to just believe that God exists. It means to have a passion for him. Not in the first place for yourself, for your own financial future or your own well-being. But to have a passion for the living God. And that means worship is a high priority. It means to make extra effort to get there. And to be ready for worship and eager to participate in worship. And that includes a passion for God's word and for reading it, and for studying it. That's all part of believing and trusting in God. And it's not about having a passion for your favorite doctrine, or your favorite theological hobby horse, or your preferred way of doing church, but a passion for the living God, for the person of God. That's what comes out of the language of this psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Of course the temple was a beautiful place, but that's not the point. That's not what the sons of Korah are are pointing out. Because the beauty of the temple only reflects the beauty of the God who dwells there with his people. And that's why the sons of Korah loved the beauty of the temple. Because that's where God dwelt. In the Holy of Holies, above the cherubim. That's where he commanded his people to come and meet him. That's where he had fellowship with them. That's the place where they could see that their sins were forgiven. Where they heard the Lord speak to them. In congregation, that's true for the New Testament believer as well. In 1 Corinthians 3, the apostle writes, Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple? And in chapter 6 of that same letter, he writes, Do you not know that your body, singular, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the psalmist's love for the temple courts is to be matched by our love for the body of Christ. We are individually and collectively the temple of the Lord. And the key thing is, is not the building in which we're sitting in today. And the key thing is not either the location of our worship, whether it's indoors or out. The key is being involved with those who are worshiping in the temple courts. The psalmist is saying, I have to be there. 
I have to be with God's people. It's a lovely building, and there's many good memories attached to it, but I have to be where God meets with his people and where his word is heard, and I want to hear his voice. I want to be there. I want to be where his people praise him. I want to be where we pray together, we worship together, where we pour out our hearts to him together. So being a believer is about being passionate for God, about seeing God and knowing him and having a living relationship with him. And to be a believer then is to see this as the most basic and most important thing in your life, more important than anything else. Even if you are only a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord, you get to be part of the worship. The sons of Korah, they were not priests. They were not at the heart, at the center of the worship in the temple. You could say they were kind of in the background. They could come up to the thresholds. That's where they had to do their work. But they were not offended like their great-great-great-grandfather They had a high appreciation of the privilege and blessing of worship. And if they did not receive the seat of honor, that was fine with them. In today's terms, we might put it this way. I might be disappointed that I've never been nominated as an office bearer, but that's okay. That means more to me. The blessing of worship means more to me than that. I might be disappointed that things in the church don't go exactly the way I would like them to go, but that's not going to keep me from the blessing of worship because that's more important to me. I am grateful that I can be here. I am grateful that I can be among God's people and serve the living God. It also means to go on in faith. To go on in faith is not merely to be passionate for worship, but also about your relationship with the living God, for his ways and his word. It means to see God's hand in your life and in the world around you, in creation, in your daily food, in everything that you need and have. It also means that you seek the Lord's blessing in your life. Before you go to work, before you eat your food, before you make life-changing decisions, you go to the Lord in prayer. When you're going through difficult circumstances, when you have to have a tough conversation, you go to the Lord in prayer. And finally, going on in faith means going on in hope and in conviction, in the confidence of this blessing. Even if at times your circumstances make you feel as if there is No reason for confidence. The sons of Korah found themselves in a very difficult situation. But notice their conviction in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And again verse 12. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. They were confident in the blessing of worship. It could have... It's very possible that the desire of their hearts was never answered. That they never made it there. But they still counted themselves as blessed. And they kept on in faith, the way of pressing on in worship, even in the face of obstacles. We can relate to that too, can't we? The Lord tells us with this psalm that the way of blessing is the way of worship. 
even if you are in the hospital for an extended period of time, even when you have to stay home for one reason or another, for an extended period of time, or if you have difficulties in your family or your relationships. Maybe you are going through your own valley of battle right now. But the Lord will make it a place of springs. That is his promise. Sons of Korah speak about the Lord making the valley of tears a place of life-giving water. And they press on in worship. And as they press on in worship, they find that water. They keep on finding that water, which represents life. And so they go from strength to strength until they appear before God in Zion. The way of finding blessing is to continue in worship. And of course, in our modern day and age, we have an easier way of getting to church than the sons of Korah did. But it still takes effort. Sometimes we have to overcome the sinful inclination of our heart to skip a worship service. Or we have to overcome physical or psychological hurdles to get there. Some of us may have family or friends who mock us for being there, for being faithful. The congregation consider the blessings, the blessings of fellowship, because as believers we have so much in common. A very practical example, we have so many good connections compared to so many people who don't have a church family. And consider how worship awakens, awakens your spiritual fire. We can all get bogged down by the cares of life. That happens to all of us. But worship renews our zeal for God. And it gives us the blessing of assurance. We don't stand alone, but we stand together with the saints of yesterday and today in worshiping the living God. And consider, too, how how worship increases our awe of God and highlights who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And consider, too, how the Lord is glorified by our praise and worship, even out of the mouths of babes and infants. And the Lord sees this, and it doesn't leave him untouched because he's the living God. He is the one who sees and hears. He's not a deaf and dumb idol. He cares about you. In 1 Peter 5, he writes, Peter writes, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I know it doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes we get... We think like that. But consider the words of verse 11 of this psalm. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is true, was true for the sons of Korah. This is true for us today. And that's why pressing on in worship in the face of difficult circumstances is always the way of blessing. And the reason for this Because God heard the prayers of the sons of Korah. He heard the prayer of verses 8 and 9. Because he has anointed his son. He has been with his anointed. His son Jesus Christ to protect his people. Yes the kings of the Old Testament. Weren't always able to protect God's people. But the son of God came to his people. Who were in great distress. And he personally felt that distress. 
until he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But after he was finished hanging on the cross for three hours, he also said, it is finished. He was overwhelmed by death, but he rose again on the third day, and he lives, and he reigns at God's right hand forever and ever. He is the living Savior, and he is our living high priest, and he intercedes for us daily and pleads our cause. He speaks to the Father on your behalf, and he knows your struggles. He knows if you have to stay home because you're not able to come to church. He knows when your friends or family mock you for being here. He knows if you have to endure pain or anxiety or headaches just to sit here for an hour. He knows the ones are, who are sitting here or, and are still filled with guilt because they haven't been able to kick that habit. He knows every one of us. He knows us all. And he says to his father, Father, I died for them, for him and for her. And the father sees the face of his son and intercedes as he intercedes for us. Think about the sparrow and the swallow that the sons of Korah envy. And then think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the birds of the air, the swallow, the sparrow, the robin, the chickadee. They do not sow or reap. And yet, our Heavenly Father feeds them. How much more will he not care for you? Because Christ died for you. We are blessed to be here today worshiping our God. There's no better place in the world to be. It's a foretaste of what it will be like in heaven. The closest thing. It's the way of blessing. The way of our future and to our future. And yes, it's true, on the way to the new Jerusalem, we go through our valley of tears too. But we have fellowship with the living God. And that means we have life because he turns our valley of tears into a spring oasis. As the hymn writer John Newton said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amen.